0: Ask yourself this question. Are you spending your time or investing your time? Hey there, I'm Matt, one of the coaches here at Path for Growth. If you are a business owner or leader looking to get off the hamster wheel of working in your business and want to start investing your time working on your business, then I wanted to let you know that we have launched a free coaching trial where you can do just that. In this 14-day free trial, you and I will work one-on-one to unlock growth while reducing your stress. You'll also get access to all our member-exclusive content and the amazing impact-driven leaders in our community. Are you ready to stop spending and start investing? Find out more at pathforgrowth.com.
1: Click Apply to get started we really knew very little. (laughs) And so we went in, like, I didn't consign my kids items. You know, as I said before, I was like giving things to Goodwill or giving them to my sister. So I, I really didn't have any knowledge of the industry of the marketplace. I just knew conceptually this brand solved a problem.
0: Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. Well, today I get to share with you a conversation that I had with someone that I look to as an impact driven leader through and through. Tracy Panace is a contributing member of the Path for Growth community. She's been a one on one customer of ours for almost two years, and she's the CEO of Just Between Friends. Now, JBF is a children's clothing consignment sale event company that operates through franchisees around the country. We're going to explain a little bit more about what the business is and how it operates. But what I want you to know is the scale of the business, it's now represented by, I believe, 153 franchisees. There's so many things that just impress me about this organization, but also inspire me about this organization. Their commitment to operationalizing excellence, to scaling culture and making sure that they reproduce a family and friendly feel in every single one of their franchisees organizations around the country, and to leading well through change. It's just so powerful, and there's so many of those practices and techniques that we get to get insight into from Tracy's perspective here in this conversation today. But before we jump into all of that, I want you to hear the story of how she became the CEO of Just Between Friends.
1: Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to be here, and I I remember that day vividly because I had made a phone call prior to me reaching out to you to speak to the founder of the franchise system that I was a franchisee in. And I just said, hey, if you're ever interested in selling your company, I'd be interested in buying. Having no idea of what I was asking for. And much to my surprise, she said, yeah, let's talk about it. And so I was like, okay, great. Now what do I do? And so you know, you and I had had a relationship in a coaching capacity previously. And I knew at that point what I didn't know, which was a lot. And I knew that I needed to enlist some support and some help in what was the next step. And so I, in my head, I was thinking, you know, What books could I quickly read? What podcasts could I listen to? Or, you know, more importantly, who could I speak to? And so that's what led me to reconnect with you. And it was actually in August of 2021. So two years ago.
0: Golly, that's so awesome that we're almost at the two-year mark. I don't know how it feels for you. That time for me feels like it has absolutely flown.
1: Totally. It's gone by really, really fast.
0: So let's jump into a little bit of the background, give people a little bit of insight into what the organization is being just between friends or JBF is how we'll refer to it a lot in this podcast. What is the organization and what does it do?
1: Yeah, as an organization, we exist to help families say yes. And we do that through seasonal marketplace for parents to come together to buy and sell things that their children no longer need or want. So think of it as Facebook marketplace, but in person. And so um, parents have things that their kids have outgrown or outloved. So it gives them an opportunity to sell those items to make some extra money. And then likewise, a a family can buy those items at 50 to 90% less than retail so that they can clothe and entertain their kiddos for the next six, months. So it's really a community event where parents come together and our model is somewhat unique um, because we're not a brick and mortar. We're not like a traditional consignment shop, but we're an event-based business. So it's anywhere from three to five days, twice a year that our franchisees put on these pop-up events in 153 locations in 33 states.
0: Man, so cool. And to let the cat out of the bag, spoiler alert, Tracy is now and has been operating as the CEO of this organization, which is so cool. And we're going to walk through that transition and that story here in just a bit. But one of the things that I think really informs your perspective that we're going to dive into a lot in this podcast is you were a franchisee. And so first question is like, what drew you to JBF to want to be a franchisee specifically within that organization?
1: Well, I'm a parent. And so um, as... Most parents know their kids grow fast. And so that's the problem that we solve for parents. And I learned about JBF when my own children were 8 and 11. And my husband and I have a background in franchising. So at that time, we owned another franchise business. And so when you're in that space, there's a lot of organizations and networking events. And my husband received a brief about this company called Just Between Friends, And again, we were in that season of our life where we're like, well, this really resonates with us. So we looked into it as a brand and it was a perfect opportunity at that time. This was in 2008, not only because it made sense for me as a parent, because I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, I have stuff that my kids no longer need or want. And I'm either giving it to my friends or Goodwill or, you know, just in some cases, just disposing of it, which is is so bad for our environment. So that was attractive to me. It was also attractive to me because again, in 2008, JBF was being marketed as a seasonal part-time opportunity. And so it enabled me to maintain my other full-time job while kind of dipping my toes into JBF. And that worked really well for me until like, 2015, when our business started to really grow exponentially, and so it was like, ah, something's got to give here. You know, I'm either going to double down on JBF, or you know, maybe it was time for me to leave JBF. I chose the former versus the latter, mm-hmm. and so really started to invest in my own personal development in in 2015. You and I first met in 2017, and so that was all a part of that trajectory. Is just you know like you know, if I really want to be the the best in this industry, what do I need to do to, to scale my business? So we purchased some additional units and just had a lot of success. And so at the time that I took off my franchisee hat and became the franchisor, um, had the, the top producing units in the company. And that really fueled my desire to help more people. Because I'm like, this mm-hmm. what we do is... Is not unique. How we deliver it is somewhat unique, but I, I really felt like I had figured some things out about how to market our product, how to scale the business, and operationalize excellence in what we did locally. So it kind of fueled my desire to, how can I help other franchisees like me have the same level of success? And so that was kind of my franchisee journey. I was a franchisee with Just Between Friends for 15 years. And as I said, had success in that capacity, but knew that there was more. And mm-hmm. so not not for me, because I had climbed the mountain and, you know, had an opportunity to experience that success for myself. But I really knew that that was possible for the rest of our system, and so that was what led me to make that call to the founder to say, "Hey, you know, I'd have an interest in in buying the company if you're ever interested in selling, um, and the confidence to know that I could do that—that that if if given the opportunity, I had the capacity to lead."
0: So people have insight when you entered into the organization as a franchisee in 2008. What was the stage of the company at that point? When did it start, and where was it at in terms of number of units? team, things like that, Tracy?
1: Yeah, at that time, we were really what's considered in franchising an emerging brand. So within franchising, once you get to 100 units, that's when it's like, oh, this this thing has legs. You know, we think it'll stand the test of time. Our first two units were number 78 and 94, right? So we were just under that bubble. So the company was growing really fast. And at that time, I believe... We had been franchising just for about four or five years. Shannon started the company in 1997 and so didn't start officially franchising until a couple of years after that. So when I entered the company, we were in a high growth phase And we were also in a very similar economy to where we are today. So if we recall Mm -hmm. 2008, you know, things weren't going so well, particularly in the housing market. And the beauty of our business is that we really thrive in that type of an economy because parents are looking for ways to creatively clothe and entertain their children because they can't you know, not clothe and entertain their kids. And so how do we do that in a way that's sustainable? And so very much like 2023, where people are, you know, having the same pinch at the gas pump or groceries or things like that, you, we're in a similar marketplace. So that was really how my journey began. And it's kind of cool because it's, it's come full circle that that's where mm-hmm. we are today.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Was there specific things when you think back to your first couple of years in the organization that you identified as, man, these are distinctive strengths of this organization that are almost woven into the DNA of this place? Did anything stand out in those early years?
1: Yes. I mentioned that my husband and I had, this was our second franchise concept that we owned. And so, Very much difference between those two experiences was the culture. You know, Just Between Friends has always been a very strong culture. Our franchisees are extremely supportive of one another. And I I believe really want to see other franchisees win versus our first experience was a little bit more corporate and competitive and although there was sharing and things like that, it was really different within JBF. And that started at the top. Our, the founder of our company was just a very charismatic and kind person. And, and that really was evident with the caliber of the franchisees. So I think that's that's one thing that stood out at that time. And I think we've really amplified that over time is as we we talk about, our core values, our mission. And the beauty of the franchise system is that we have owners who then have an opportunity to replicate that on a local level. So it's a, it's a real force multiplier. So if you've got franchisees who buy into the culture and run their business that way, they can impact an entire community in the same degree.
0: As you think back to the 15 years as a franchisee, Are there any lessons that you can think back and maybe even specific moments or stories that you're like, that was transformative for me. Like I learned something there that I was different on the backside of that specific season or that occurrence or learning that lesson.
1: So many. I think the one thing that was transformative to me was was COVID and Mm. so many leaders that you talk to, you know, everyone had... It's a different experience, but as I mentioned in the intro, we're an event-based business. So although what our product is essential retail, we're selling gently used children's clothing and baby equipment and things like that, the way we're classified by most States is as an event because we take place at expo centers, at gyms, anywhere where there's a large amount of square footage. So COVID was crippling to us. I mean, we were essentially shut down across the country. And so I think what was transformative about that was really the mindset of, I've got to figure this out, right? Mm. I, I have got to figure this out, not only because it's my livelihood, but other people depend on me to clothe and entertain their children. And we have people that come every single year. They've come for 15 years. Some of them had children and now they have grandchildren, but they'll budget accordingly on our seasonality. And so during COVID, really uh, adopting that mindset of like, I've got to figure it where there's a will, there's a way, and we're going to figure it out. And so during that time of covid I started just having small groups of of owners meeting on Zoom, you know, like we're all facing a a similar challenge. The restrictions might be different in Pennsylvania versus in the state of Washington, but we all have a a common challenge. And so we just brainstormed it and really used our collective wisdom to, to figure that out. As a result of that, one of our core values now is we figure things out. And that really evident <laughs> during that timeframe of how we deliver our products and service had to adapt. And so instead of being in those large expo centers, we were in vacant retail space and just changing our messaging from an event to what we are, which is essential retail. So, so many lessons came out of that. But I think you know those of us who really doubled down during that time came out so much stronger. You know, we, mm. we looked at our business differently. We were able to say, maybe we don't have to do it this way. For example, you know, traditionally our events happen between March and May and then August to October. And so no one ever really challenged the status quo to say, why can't we have an event in July? Why can't we have an event in November? And so now, in my new role, you know that's one of our strategic priorities for this year is to have 60 additional events. So, so challenging our franchisees to not do the traditional two, but have a third event in July for back to school or in November for the holidays, because we learned during COVID that we could have success in what was traditionally called the off-season. So that would be, I, I think, the most vivid example of being transformative on so many levels, how we deliver our product, how we had the mindset to to push through a really difficult season and come out better.
0: If you think of Tracy's leadership style pre-COVID compared to Tracy's leadership style after COVID, what is the biggest difference?
1: I think the biggest difference is a belief that I can, you know, we, we say it all the time within JBF, I can do hard things and also just optimism. I, I I tend to be a little bit more, not, I'm not pessimistic, but maybe realist, you know? So it was like, how, how do I do this? How do I do this? And so I think my leadership style during that period of time shifted to, I can, I, I really can figure this out. If I don't try to focus so much on how, it's more of the who. Who can help me? And so during that time frame, it was different people either at our venue or within state or local government that I reached out to calls that I would have never made before. But I'm like, no one's gonna talk to me. You know, I, I live in Pennsylvania, so Calling Harrisburg was not something I ever did before. Harrisburg is our state capital, but I did it because I had to. And I think I came out of that experiencing experience knowing like it's possible, you know, like it's what's the worst thing somebody could say? No. OK, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can move on from that.
0: I love that y'all almost like codify and concretize the idea of I can do hard things because I've heard you say that before. I've heard other people in your organization say that before. And I know that that's a message that is continually spread throughout your organization. Like I can do hard things, we can do hard things. Why is that a message that you're passionate about like hitting home within JBF as a a cultural item?
1: Such a good question. I think some of that stems from Our mission as parents, you know, we help parents say yes. And when you think about, I know you're not a parent yet, but someday, you know, we say no a lot to our kids. Like, no, you can't do that. Or or no, you shouldn't do that. And so sometimes as adults, we believe that in ourselves. Like, no, I can't do that. You know, like success is not possible for me. It's possible for other people. And so just adopting a mindset of, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, like, what can we do to shake up the status quo? And I think within JBF, there are a lot of things within our business that we cannot control. We don't own our venue. You know, we don't have a traditional brick and mortar location that we go to Monday through Friday. We sign a, a year or five-year lease or something like that. You know, we sign a one-week lease for twice a year. So there's so many uncontrollable things in that and so just adopting the mindset of i'm going to control the controllables and there are things that are going to happen and my success as an entrepreneur is not on that because that's going to happen regardless it's how how i respond to to those challenges and so i think within our organization that's what we we try to stress to our owners is like expect that Expect that you're going to have a snowstorm in the middle of your event, <laughs> or you know, I've had situations in my events over the years where the Pope came to Philly. Right? <laughs> Who would have thought, right, that, that he shut down every major artery in and out of the city of Philadelphia? Okay, how do I deal with that, right? And so we had to figure that out, and that was hard because I only had a week to, to figure it out uh, for for my business because that's the time frame that we were locked into. And yeah, I think just having that posture of how, how you respond to those situations is what ultimately determines whether you have success or not.
0: I'd love to even just park on the stage of you being a franchisee just for a little bit longer because there's so much wrapped into that 15 years that is just so powerful to go from just starting out in 2008 to over the course of the 15 years Having two of the top performing units in the company. And there's, I mean, a hundred plus units in the company. It's like that's an amazing were there specific barriers that you as a a business person, as a leader, as just a human being had to break through to graduate to different levels of performance? Like, did you have to reinvent yourself? And specifically what I'd like to know, is there other barriers that you had to break through that now you look back at all the franchisees that you now get to lead and you're like, oh man, I see these common barriers show up so often as the thing that will keep people from moving forward or keep people from scaling up.
1: I think the biggest barrier initially that I had to overcome, when I came into my role as a franchisee, I had a business partner. And as I said, the brand at that time was emerging. So there, there were no locations in the state of Pennsylvania, really on the East Coast. It was primarily a brand centered in, the, the South, which is where the company was founded. And so we went to training and we really knew very little. <laughs> and so we went in, like, I I didn't consign my kids' items. You know, as I said before, I was like giving things to Goodwill or giving them to my sister. So I, I really didn't have any knowledge of the industry, of the marketplace. I just knew conceptually this brand solved a problem, a problem that I personally experienced as a as a parent. And I knew enough from having a background in marketing that this made sense. And that if if it solved my problem, it probably solved a lot of other people's problems as well. So I think the first barrier that we had to overcome was that um, nobody really took us very seriously. And so if, if you've ever been in a training group where usually it's the person that is speaking the loudest that is probably not going to be the most successful because they're spending all their time talking and not listening. And so we just took it all in and, and really listened and observed and were good students. And I think one of the things that's led to my success, whether it was in JBF or other areas, is I'm pretty adept at following a model. Like, you know, if if somebody shows me this is the way, this is the path, then I, I don't really question the status quo. I'm always going to try to do things better. But if there's a proven process and we're able to to say, like, this is the fastest path to get from here to there, I'm going to try it. And so that's what we did. We really just followed the path. And another thing I learned early in my franchising career is that we are wise to follow those who have had success. And so when we went to the training, the The number one question I kept asking people is who is having the most success with this model? Like who's the most successful franchisee within just between friends? And people kept saying, Kathy, Kathy. And we're like, okay, who's Kathy? And where can I find (laughs) her? And so, you know, we found Kathy and Beth and I, she was my partner at the time, went and spent a week at her event and just modeled and observed everything that she was doing. And to this day, you know, 15 years later, we're still doing the things that Kathy was doing. And so and she's still a franchisee, and we're good friends. But that really was helpful in accelerating our path is just to look at what she was doing, to take what served us well and served our community well and implement those without trying to reinvent the wheel, which is why people join a franchise to begin with, is to, to buy into a proven process so that you can scale your business faster.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's so brilliant and has applications to every type of business. But it starts with like that fundamental belief. One of the things we always talk about with Empath for Growth is like behavior is always an extension of belief. And it starts with that fundamental belief of someone has done this before. Right. And it's almost a little bit humbling to be like, okay, my problems are not new. I'm not this original, like creative, like I, the woe is me. The world is coming at me in new ways that no one's ever experienced. You kind of have to have this humbling, like someone has done this before. We don't have to rethink the wheel. Rather, we just have to go find that person and learn from them. One of the things that I, I would like to know from you, because I think that this is a strength that you've taken with you into the CEO role is one of the things that I've observed is the ability to observe, look at, study, learn from, talk to other people that are doing the thing, and then extract what can be applied to JBF, to your life, to your leadership. Are there any concepts or principles that come to mind that you really focus on? Or what is your process for finding a model and then extracting what's good from that model to be applied to your context and your situation, Tracy?
1: I think finding a model is looking for what are you trying to extract from it? What are you trying to learn? I mean, in that particular example with the franchise system is, we didn't know what we didn't know. And so going somewhere and really seeing things in action and how that played out. And I will look for models all over the place you know like within path for growth there's the 12 fundamentals that i know you talk a lot about on this podcast i as a a student and a customer of a path for growth i'm like this really makes sense you know having identifying what are these 12 fundamentals that all leaders that you've worked with seem to have that contribute to their success i'm like hmm. within just between friends we have that as well you know what are what are some of the fundamentals that we see of our really successful franchisees that can be extracted and can be taught and learned behaviors from franchisees and so we now have our own uh, five fundamentals the jbf way that we're piloting this summer and so i think there's always opportunities if you're just willing to listen and to observe, and I think, you know, being a learner, I, I'm always reading or listening to podcasts or you know trying to expand my own point of, of knowledge because I don't have all the answers, right? I have a lot of questions. I, I, I'm curious by nature, and I also feel like it, it helps me to up my game. You know, if I if I'm constantly investing in my own personal development, um, and I hear you say it all the time that. You know, the organization grows when the leader grows. And so I'm responsible for me. And if I'm the best version of myself, then in this particular season of my life, hopefully that trickles down to helping our franchisees put their best foot forward as well.
0: Hmm. One of the quotes, I want to say it was Picasso, but I could be wrong, but it's a quote that we've been reflecting a lot on as a team lately is, you want to learn the rules like a professional so that you can break them like an artist. Mm. And I love that quote. I think it applies so much to what you're talking about, Tracy, but uh, in some ways it can be really encouraging and exciting for me to hear that quote. It can also be really convicting because I think sometimes I approach things as a business owner, as an artist first. In, when I should be approaching it as a professional first. And it's like, no, like I need to learn the rules, the proven process of how the game is played and like just apply myself to that and in some ways submit to that playbook. Like just prove that I can follow that playbook of what's already been proven. And then I I get to break things as an artist and do things our own way or figure out our own spin or our own distinctive way of doing that. D- does that resonate for you or anything else you would elaborate on in that topic, Tracy?
1: Totally. And that's one of the hardest parts of people joining a franchise system is that there, there has to be that bit of humility to know that, someone else has figured some of these things out right that that there are others who have gone before us who have maybe experienced some painful results and we would be again we would be wise to learn from those experiences so that we don't repeat them and and that's that's hard for some people and we, what we have found most recently with our newest group of, of franchisees is when we ask them you know why have you had the success and they've said because I followed the process, right? And not not that they can't make the process better. And I think we have different rhythms and metrics in place where we're always soliciting that type of feedback. But at some point, there has to be just an acceptance of this. this is the way, right? This is the way that things can be done and should be done and that's hard for some people.
0: Yes. And, and I mean, I can be one of those people sometimes, right? There were, it's like, golly, like I I don't want to submit to a process, right? But I think I learned it so visually. You and I coincide whenever I was working at Ramsey Solutions. And I think that was the place that I learned it so visually is I saw Dave could speak pretty confidently about how to get people out of debt, right? There's seven baby steps for getting out of debt and building wealth. And people would ask those people like, oh my gosh, how did you do this? Incredible results. You paid off five, hundred thousand dollars in debt now you're building generational wealth for your family how did you do it and their answer would always every single time sum up to I followed the process
1: yeah
0: and then and then he'd have these phone calls with people where they're like complaining where they're saying I disagree I want to do it a different way where they're like offering all these alternative solutions and he's like I'm telling you the process works. If you want to do something different, that's your prerogative, but the process works. And so I think was able to learn peripherally in that season, like, okay, for just about anything that you're doing, there is a proven process. You've got to have this attitude of, I don't have it figured out. I am ridiculously responsible for the results that I'm getting. And if I want to get better results, I should probably start by asking better questions. And that starts with like, man who's winning and what's their process and how could i adopt it
1: yeah that's actually one of our fundamentals so it's the the fifth fundamental is rinse and refine because we often say about our business that it's a rinse and repeat and so what we found is yes you you need to follow the proven process and always look for ways to make it better you know so that there are certain elements of that process that are going to work consistently over time there's many things about our franchise business. My husband now owns our franchise location. So we, I still have a little bit of a toe in the water from a franchisee perspective, but that we've done from the very beginning and that we continue to do because they work. But we're also always trying to elevate the customer experience and to to do more. Um, so we're, we're always refining things. And when I had my business partner, you know, what that looked like on a practical level is like we would go to all these conferences and we'd listen to franchisees and we're like, we don't do that, we don't do that. So we just kept it really simple to focus on these things, again, that that were yielding consistent results and making really minor tweaks season after season, but those small little deposits that we were making in our business ultimately compounded into really big things and enabled us to have a lot of success.
0: Mm. It's one of the things that I'm probably most excited about in our business right now that you've had a front row seat to and in many ways it was customers like you that helped us inform how we created it but it's the 12 fundamentals for healthy growth and it's like I can say now we've walked enough people through it and we've seen a lot of people in the trenches of practicing healthy growth in their business that it's like this is a proven process like if you want to grow your business while reducing your stress it has nothing to do with my personality or even the individual Individual team members' personalities. It's like it's a proven process that if you follow these steps, it will help you grow your business in a way that's healthy. Therefore, reduce your stress. And we will have conversations with people sometimes, business owners sometimes, that they say, "Well, I don't like your process." And then my response to them is like, "Okay, well, what's your process?" And they'll say, "Well, I don't really have a process." It's like, "Well, I like my process better than your process." So I, just don't I process, think,
1: right?
0: <laughs> exactly. So because it's like uh, the biggest thing would be have a freaking can process and like commit to it and submit to the consistency of doing the same thing over and over. Okay, to fast forward a little bit, it's a pretty gutsy move. You're on the backside of COVID, maybe by a year to a year and a half, and you get this wild left field idea to be like, well, what if I just bought the whole company? What if I became the CEO of this thing? What on earth informed that? Where did that come from? And when you initially had the idea, how did it strike you internally, Tracy?
1: I'd like to say it was that spontaneous, but it it really wasn't. I I think in my head in 2017, when I mentioned like I kind of like doubled down on my own personal development, at that time i no longer had my partner i went from two franchise locations to four because if two are good then four must be better you know that's the high achiever in me always wanting to do more we took all four of those locations into the really top percent of the company and so in 2017 it was also the year i turned 50 i was like okay what what's next you know what was next for me and so in looking at my own personal development was like how do i really scale this business so that it can operate without me right like that was really my goal was that i had a good thing going but i wanted to be able to in terminology that we use in path for growth all the time not be working in my business be working on my business and even better than that you know could i just be absentee but that's not our model our model is more owner operated but i just started to explore different things, uh, uh, what would make that possible? And so in doing so, what I realized was like, what we do is, is really very simple. And so could I teach that to other JVF owners? And so I started doing consulting for a small group of owners. And initially it was eight. And then by the time I bought the whole franchise, we were up to like 32 owners. And so that gave proof of concept that, okay, like if I can scale my business and I can teach these 32 owners how to scale their business and they're having results, like there's something here. And so I think the exact wording that I used when I, when I called you in 2021 was I feel called to do this, right? Like I, Mm -hmm. I really felt like I was being pushed in this direction and that was really what, what I believed at that time. And I still believe that. Um, and so I didn't know that picking up the phone and asking Shannon if I could buy her business was that gutsy or out of the ordinary. And I'm glad I didn't know that because now that I'm on the other side and I tell people this story, they're like, you did what? Like when I went to the International Franchise Association conference in February telling people the story of how I acquired the company, it was like absolutely unheard of. Like that this that we did this, that so many franchise companies are being bought by private equity or they're being considered something called a a bolt-on or a platform brand where one company in a, a similar industry is buying up lots of other like minded companies and so had i known that i probably would not have made that call so th- that was that was good that i went into it just believing that i could and and really having the passion for the franchising system and specifically our brand which led me to have the courage to just raise my hand and say Hey, you know, if this is of interest, what I didn't know when I made that call, and I actually didn't know this until we were about a year into our negotiations, was that Shannon had, um, Shannon's the the co-founder that I bought the company from. She had three people in her mind that she would sell the company to. And I was one of those three people. And so she shared that with me after we had come to an agreement. And I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool that it all kind of worked out this way.
0: As I've kind of watched this story unfold, and I already knew you, and I think our friendship has deepened, and then obviously you're a customer of Path for Growth as well. But then in addition to that, I've gotten to meet the leadership team and also gotten to meet Shannon. One of the phrases that keeps coming to mind, it's based on a talk that I heard Andy Stanley give. It's called Beyond You Leadership. And just that idea of like, man, the highest calling of a leader is to pass something on to someone else. And that can often be the thing that's hardest to do as a leader because it's something you deeply care about. And I always look at Shannon as like, man, what an example of a beyond you leader. Are there specific characteristics or virtues or qualities that stood out in Shannon in that initial conversation and in the subsequent process that you really look at and you say, man, I really admire that as a quality of beyond you leadership?
1: Yeah. One of the things that Shannon said to the franchisees when we, we told them, about the transition was that it was never her goal to be a legend. It was her goal to leave a legacy. And so I think that really was the the theme of the transition was that, you know, she wanted her legacy to be this company. And, And she says it all the time is that it's not her company. It's God's company. And so like, what did that look like and how did that, unfold between the two of us. And that's kind of the the beautiful part of the story is that uh, although it wasn't perfect in our negotiations, it was always very peaceful. And I know that probably sounds a little bit odd um, because we were at odds about lots of different things about the valuation of the company and the logistics and things like that. But but we were, there was always open and honest lines of communication because it was her goal to to have the legacy. And it was my goal to continue that. And and I would always say, you know, I was grateful for the opportunity to go second because she paved the way for me. And I feel like I have the opportunity to take this company to the next level, but that's only possible because we worked really well together and we're continuing to work well together. So as a, a part of the ongoing process is, you know, Shannon's still a part of the company, which well, is part of the company forever, but um, in a, a more formal role for the next three years. And so it kind of diminishes a little bit each and every year because she has new challenges and new opportunities that are set forward to, but she'll always be a part of what makes JBF special. And when we talked at the beginning about what makes it a little bit different from other franchise systems that I've been a part of, it's that culture and it's that camaraderie. And she's, a huge part of that she was the base of the brand for 26 years. And so in some way she'll always be certainly the founding face of the brand.
0: It's so rare. I, I get this unique seat and that I get to have visibility into and get to observe succession occur across industries, across stages of business. I get to see people planning succession. I get to see people on the back end of succession. And it just doesn't happen well often. <laughs> Right. And, and it, it rarely, if ever, happens where – and you get two people that go in as friends, stay friends the entire time through negotiation, and then come out on the backside both overjoyed. And so I guess if someone finds themselves either approaching succession, maybe because they're taking over or maybe because they're handing off – is there anything that you would learn that you're like, man, I just want to pass this on to you so bad as you head into that season, keep this in mind?
1: I think the thing that helped us the most is that there really was transparency, that there was, although I, I will say, you know, I read a lot of books during that time about negotiation, never split the difference, you know, all of those, those topics, all of that was good, but what it really came down to was we had, you know, one of the things that is, is taught so well in Path for Growth is success statements. We had success statements for, you know, what what does winning look like for us in, in all the different phases? So it was, there were so many different phases. There was, you know, coming to an initial agreement, getting the LOI, going through the due diligence, and so at every phase there was, all right, we need to look at what are our expectations for this phase and making sure that we were on the same page. And then once we were able to come to agreement, in some ways, that was the hard part. And in other ways, I'm like, well, that was kind of the easy part because there was an NDA. So nobody knew what was going on, right? And so like, we weren't able to talk about it. And so once that became evident, and it was shared with the franchisees, we had a whole other set of success statements that had to come into play. Now, now this is not only our livelihood, this is their livelihood, because they bought into a franchise system where there are very high expectations for how we're going to deliver product and service and how they're going to be led. And so during that period of time, we were extremely transparent, again, with another set of success statements. And I would get on calls and say, these are our success statements, red, yellow, green. You know, how are we doing? And so I think we just really tried to be, as Zach would say, made our work visible during that time frame and um, kept referring back to it. And was it perfect? Absolutely not. But when there were things that were either misunderstood or we didn't, you know, communicate it well, we we always owned up to it and tried to do better and to share what needed to be shared so i i think i would just say to people you know to have very clear expectations of each other to communicate that with one another in a way that's that's open and honest and there would be some times when we would agree to disagree but we always were able to move forward
0: One of the things that stands out to me, well, actually, there's two quotes that stand out to me. One is a Nietzsche quote where he says, he who knows his why can bear almost any how." It's like Shannon had her why, right, which was legacy. This co- I don't want to be a legend. I don't want this company to be legacy. And then you had your why of like calling, right? And I don't think I said this on that initial call, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's what I thought. Whenever you say like, I feel called to do this, I'm like, well, you better because if you don't, it's not going to work out very well, right? But it's like those two like compelling purposes operating in tandem give you the ability to, to wade through the how. And then the other quote that stands out, it's a Ronald Reagan quote where he said, peace is not created by the absence of conflict, but rather by the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Mm. And it's like negotiation in so many ways. It's two people sitting on two ends of a table and saying like, having different desires, different perspectives, different beliefs. And it's like, that's not an absence of peace, right? But rather, how can you handle that in a peaceful way? And I think it's something that you and Shannon did so gracefully and so well that is such a model for all of us in so many ways. One interesting wrinkle to this story from the path for growth side of things is I didn't think I would have stories to tell like this one until like 10 years into the business, maybe, right? But you called and I was like, Tracy, I- I'm so grateful that you want to be one of our customers. I, and I think I literally said, I was like, I personally don't think I'm the right person to help you because everything that you're walking into with valuations and acquisition and negotiation is not my strong suit. But then it was, wow, I think it was literally... I mean, 15 to 30 days before you made that phone call, we had hired Kelly Krieger. And Kelly had been a customer of mine for uh, since the beginning of the business. She was one of our first customers. And I watched her walk through the valuation, negotiation, and then eventually selling of her business before she became a Path for Growth coach. And I was like, Tracy, this is going to sound crazy, but we just hired someone that literally may be the exact person that you need to talk to. And what was wild is you and Kelly ended up working together in tandem for, I think, a year, specifically on this negotiation process. Like, it took a long time. Is there anything specifically that you think you got from that relationship with Kelly? Because she's such a brilliant coach. Anything specific that you got from her that you look at and you say, oh my gosh, that was so helpful in that season and in that time period?
1: So much. Yeah, it really was just divine timing. I mean, there, there was just, I, I do remember that that was how it unfolded. Cause I was like, ah, oh, darn, you know, Alex can't help me. But I trusted you enough to know that number one, you had my best interest at heart when you were saying like, you know, I'm not the right person to help you with this, but I know somebody who can. And so I think, you know, from Kelly, because she had that very similar experience of going through negotiations She really helped me with all of those things that we were just talking about with, you know, the the success statements and laying out expectations and just being a sounding board for over a year on, you know, being strong and being principled and taking emotion out of my decisions. I think that was the hardest thing for me is because I cared so deeply about the brand and the people is that I got caught up in that many times is like, but I want this, you know, I want, and, and Kelly would be like, okay, you know, what do you really want? Like, you know, bringing me back to my why and, and to do so in a way that was fiscally responsible. And, and you know, so there were so many different variables, but the other thing I think I learned from that is that as leaders, we need coaches with different skill sets at different times of our life. So it was also, I think, almost perfect timing that I purchased the company in December of 2022. And that was around the time that Kelly was moving on to another opportunity. And then I got a call from you, you know, hey, I'd like to be your one-on-one coach. I'm like, how perfect is this? You know, because as much as I adore Kelly. And I'm so grateful for all of her help. It was really good timing because I was moving into a different stage of my leadership where it was, we were, we were through kind of the negotiations and the messy part of the transition. And now it was an opportunity to like, all right, let's go right in your words, (laughs) let's go. And so how do we really double down on mission, vision and core values and and so I felt like that timing was just so perfect because that's really how we started the year was like, all right, guys, you know, this, this is what we stand for. This is why we exist. And so, you know, being able to now share those challenges and opportunities with you um, through coaching has just been, I mean, I can't think of a better way to have started this phase of, of my leadership journey.
0: Yeah. When you look at it from three different angles, it's such a testament to like God's faithfulness, Mm -hmm. even getting to hear it from the customer perspective, because it's like Kelly got offered a job as a COO and it was just like an incredible opportunity that she really realized like, man, I really enjoy coaching is what she told us. But like, I think I have this itch to still run a business and I want to be a part of that. And so it, it surprised us quite frankly. And we wanted to be supportive of her and excited for her. And we still are that because it was an incredible opportunity, but it was like, oh gosh, what are we gonna do for this? And my immediate thought was, oh man, she's got these killer customers like Tracy, like Drew, right? There's so many customers that she has and like she's worked so well with them. It's gonna be really hard to make this phone call where it's like, I'm telling them, hey, we're going to be doing something different now. But then just so cool to see God show up and have a conversation like that with you. And this is, I could literally list the stories of how this happened with everyone because literally like, I think everyone is still with us, which is amazing to go through that type of transition speaks to the power of the community that's occurring in Path for Growth right now, I think more than anything in the faithfulness of God. But just to like here that it's like, you felt like you were at this stage where it's like, no, it was actually the timing was right for me as well. And it's like, man, there's no way we could have manufactured, change, like set that up that's just like the thing that you have to lean on God for and you have to trust in. And so thank you for sharing that. I'd love for people to hear your perspective. You're stepping into the CEO role. You know that it's happening as you kind of like have this vision on like, man, I'm now responsible for these franchisees. First of all, how many franchisees were there at that stage whenever you took over and what was the actual takeover date That sounds like it was a coup. It wasn't a coup, right? Like it was a. What was the actual transition date? Is what I should be saying.
1: The actual transition date was December 29th of 2022. So right after the Christmas holidays, we at that time there were 148 franchisees. Right now we're up to 153. So uh, we've grown a little bit in 2023, and the really good part about that timing was that we have an annual conference and that conference takes place in January. And so that was part of the plan is that nothing beats in-person experience, right? And so to be able to take over the company the end of December and then be able to meet with the majority of our franchisees, about 75 to 80% of our franchisees attend our annual conference. And so to be able to share what the vision... I, I was known by everyone because I, I've been a franchisee for 15 years. So it wasn't like this stranger was coming in and taking over the company, but now I'm in a totally different role. And so I think that that timing was just perfect because it enabled us to have those one-on-one conversations as well as share with the group what what the vision, mission, and core values we're going to be because we we revised all of those things prior to that conference. It just set things off on a really good and positive tone. And we've been able to continue that throughout the year.
0: There's so much in that that I want to zoom in on. I, I once heard a professional baseball player just kind of make the observation that which I know you're a sports fan, so we'll connect on this. He made the observation that like, if you look at it very logically and statistically and mathematically, every at-bat is created equal. But he said you recognize very early on, especially at the professional level, not every at-bat is created equal. Mm-hmm. And it's like there's sometimes where it's the bottom of the second and you're up there, and if you get a base hit, it's a good thing. There's other times where it's the bottom of the ninth And if you get a base hit, you're going on in the playoffs, or if you don't and you strike out, it's done. And he's like, there's like some career-making moments where not every at-bat is created equal, and you've got to be able to step up to the plate and perform, and that's what professionals do. And when I think about this conference – It's like, you've got this conference where a large portion of your franchisees are going to be together. You're being announced as the CEO that's going to be leading into the next stage and iteration of JBF. I think of that as like a bottom of the ninth at bat where it's like you can look at that as a really good thing, like, oh, good, we've got everyone in the same room, or it's like, oh, boy, (laughs) we've got everyone in the same room. And so how did you get your mind right to go into that? Because that's a pretty high-stakes situation. But then also, what was the core message you wanted franchisees to hear in that talk that you gave, Tracy?
1: That's such a good analogy because I definitely – felt the weight of having to hit a home run. You know, like I knew that this is my, was my opportunity. People were looking for leadership. And so I spent, I don't even know how many hours it <laughs> just thought and, and time just trying to, to craft my message to, to figure out what is it, not so much what I wanted to say, but what was it that franchisees needed to hear? That was really the thing that was most important to me is, you know, how did I make them feel like this was positive? I knew intuitively that because probably because I'd been living it for two years, like what the direction was that I could, I could sense that this was moving in a really positive direction, but it didn't matter what I felt, you know, what, the only thing that mattered was how, how they felt. Um, And so I think, you know, in terms of going into that conference, um, of course, yes, I did use a lot of sports analogies during during that speech. We do something every year called the state of the company. And so it was during that state of the company where I was able to really lay it out. Um, prior to that, as an executive team, we met to, because again, because I'm a learner and I just reading lots of different things about what does this look like for other companies is the importance of really clearly defining what was our mission and what were our core values. And I felt like that was an area where we really had an opportunity to do better. And so prior to going into that conference, our executive leadership team met and I had been keeping a running list for over a year. of Just every time I saw something that a franchisee was doing or the way a customer was reacting to our our service or our event, I just jot it down in the memos of my phone, you know, like, oh, that's an example of how so-and-so figured this out, or that's an example of how we valued progress over perfection, or this is how we treated somebody like an, a friend. And so that was really the big um, initiative during the conference was to share what that looked like. So what what were our core values and how did that fit into the overall scheme of where we were going? our theme for the conference was an Olympic theme. And so all of the the franchisees were on teams and we were at a conference type facility where there were games and things like that. So it really was a perfect setting, a perfect theme for talking about what does winning look like for JBF, you know, and, and the Olympics, of course, there's so many feel good stories of how athletes overcome challenges and adversity. And so I was able to incorporate a lot of that those themes and, and and make it very practical so in that situation I don't know if I felt the weight of it until about like an hour before I, I was giving my presentation someone came up to me and and said you know this is the whole reason why I came and I was like okay <laughs> Game oh, on, let's go. Um, you know, and so I knew I was ready, and I, I had done a lot of public speaking, particularly with the JBF group before. But this was different. You know, I, I could feel the weight of it. Everybody was like looking at me to provide direction and clarity to where we were going, and so I think it was well received. I mean, a lot of positive feedback. But it's it's easy to talk about something that you truly believe in, and so that's where it started. Is That you know we had really clearly identified where we were going, how we were going to get there, you know, and and being able to communicate that in a way that made sense, and so that was hopefully we hit hit a grand slam. I don't know, but it, it seemed to go well.
0: Well, yeah, it's one of the things that I'm personally really interested in. Is one of my aspirations is that I want to. Be the owner of a business that is really resilient but not even just resilient really uh, em- embraces and gets excited about and supports change because I just really believe we we live in a world where like change is inevitable and the organizations that thrive are the ones that don't begrudgingly go along with that fact. It's the ones where at every level of the organization, everyone on the team embraces change. And I look to JBF as a model of like, man, they've just gone one of the, if not the most significant changes you can go through in an organization. And the culture, there were things within the people that y'all selected as franchisees that it's like, they've been very supportive. It's like, and what I've observed, cause I've interacted with a handful of your franchisees. They've been on our public workshops. I've met your leadership team, right? It's like, I get this vibe. It's like, man, everyone's super grateful for Shannon, but also like everyone is rooting for Tracy to win. And that is far from uh, typical, right? Whenever change occurs, is there anything specific that was in the culture that you find yourself very grateful for? Like, man, thank goodness this is the organization that I get to step up and and lead now?
1: First of all, it's super kind of you to say that. I think I have felt that. You know, I have felt that people were rooting for me. And part of that is because I was part of that group of franchisees for so many years and and held various leadership roles within the realm of, of being a franchisee. But I think what's led to that is just trying to not have a scarcity mentality, you know, that the, the market is big enough for all of us within franchisees. It can it can be territorial. You know, we, we have territories, we own zip codes, but I I do think that there's recognition that, you know, we can all be successful. And so I think people have have seen that. I also think that, you know, Shannon created that type of culture is that it was one based on positivity and kindness and that our our job and our role is to help each other win. So I think that's positive. Um, people share a lot, which was not my experience in other franchise systems. So those types of behaviors have been modeled for many years. And I think me stepping in was positive because it's somebody who knew that and recognized that. And so although I've had a learning curve, I've had to learn things on the franchisor side, it certainly, I don't think, was as great as somebody coming in from the outside is that I knew who the players were. I knew who I wanted to have on my side. No, no, I want everybody to be on my side, but there certainly folks that are more influential within our system. And so really tapping into them to, to recognize what are the challenges, what are the opportunities and, and how do we really work together so that we're all growing in the same direction. And so from that perspective, I think that has led to, you know, we've been able to do things faster because of just having that baseline information and, and knowledge
0: So powerful. You were very deliberate and the leadership team is very deliberate about like, we are going to double down on mission and core values and vision early on. Uh, I'd love for you just so people have context to share your mission and core values. And then for you to share a little bit about how you use those things, just in communication and structurally within the organization and why you deem them so valuable. Uh, So first start with what Is the mission of JBF and what are the core values of JBF?
1: Our mission is to help families say yes. And we see that come to life through our events. So families are able to say yes to getting everything they need to clothe and entertain their kids. We have sellers who are able to say yes to things that they might not otherwise be able to afford because they're earning on average around $500. For each event that they're participating in. And then the final aspect of saying yes is to fellow entrepreneurs like me to a business opportunity. And so, you know, we, we enable folks who might not have a business background, but just have a desire to be in business for themselves, not by themselves. Um, so that's the other aspect of helping families say yes. Our four core values, we treat people like friends. We figure things out, we value progress over perfection, and we are better together. And as I said, that was really just me observing because, as you know, it's it's not what we say, but it's who we are. And so how, how do those things materialize within our events, both from an internal and an external standpoint? So I think by the time we actually sat down as a leadership team, I might have had like two or 300 different behaviors on that list. And we went through an exercise of keep, kill, or combine. And so it actually happened pretty fast where we were able to look at all these things. And of course, it wasn't just me. It was the whole team was contributing to that list. So take my two or 300 things and add in three other people's two or 300 things. That, you know. And so we had a pretty robust list of, of characteristics and behaviors. But at the end, it, it was pretty easy to hone in on these four core values, and since that time, you know, we talked about our conference. That's when we really rolled out our core values. So I was able to speak about it from the stage, and then use that time that we were all together to really get people to quickly buy into them. And so it was like, okay, you know, anybody who sees me in the hallway who can recite the core values, I'm going to give you a Starbucks gift card. Um, and that was just the beginning, right? And so it was most important to make sure that these core values didn't begin and end on that stage you know that they they continued to live on because that was to use your terminology um, that we talk about in path for growth adult right it was like this this is the theme of my presentation and that could have quickly ended um, but we've really incorporated, the mission, vision, and core values into all of our rhythms. So whether it's our our monthly calls with franchisees, our weekly calls with our staff, we run EOS. So we have weekly leadership meetings, L10s. And so we'll talk about our core values during those meetings. We go out of our way to catch people exhibiting core values. We've got something floating around the country we call contagious core values. And so if I see you doing something well, then I might, if I was the recipient of the core value, I would mail it to you. It's kind of like flat Stanley. Um, So this core (laughs) value is floating around the the company around the country for our four core values. And so we, we talk about that during our monthly meetings. And just really any opportunity and any time a group of four more people are gathered, it's, it's, that's what we're talking about to reinforce the message. I think that's what's made it powerful. And that was the thing, although this is not, you know, Tracy buys the company and all of a sudden we have core values. We've always had core values. The problem was that they weren't sticky. Like nobody knew what they were. Nobody could recite them because they were wordsmithed beautifully, but it just it was cumbersome and kind of awkward. So the goal was to make it as memorable as possible so that it could be recited and, and really internalized by not only the franchisees, but also customers of our system. So that was the goal. And I, I think we've done a good job with that. We've also incorporated a culture club. And so the culture club is broken down. I just asked franchisees and staff who might be interested in helping us to decentralize culture. And so everybody, we meet once a month and people are on subcommittees so that they're taking different things that are of interest to them and really trying to just spread the mission to make us all better. And that, that's been a really positive thing. And that's where, if I think about my role as CEO, that's where I get so much energy because mm. people are, we're all rowing in the same direction and it's been fun.
0: Mm, And and culture has that unique ability to have a multiplying effect where it's like, man, you're not even playing addition. Now you're multiplying the value that you add to others. So I just love how deliberate and intentional y'all are in focusing on culture. I was actually watching. I don't think I was actually watching recording. I think I was there. It was one of the office hours conversations recently, which you're a pretty active participant in office hours within the path for growth community. These are casual yet intentional conversations we have with members of the community. And I think it was Stephen that brought up the question like, hey, what are the things that y'all focus on to have a remarkable culture? Stephen's got... A young team, a growing team. Steven is one of the more energetic, enthusiastic, passionate entrepreneurs I've ever met. He just has so much energy and he's as impact-driven as they come. And there were a lot of good ideas thrown out about one-off things that could be done. And I thought it was so insightful. It was a great reminder for me you and I think it was Rusty both spoke up, which these are people that both, you know, I think Rusty has been in business for 20 plus years. You're right at that 20 year mark as well of running and owning your own business in some capacity. And both of you said something to the effect of, Hey, doing these one-off things, creating powerful moments, creating remarkable experiences, those things really matter but what are the things structurally and rhythmically that you're putting in place so that culture is just hit on like every single day, week, month, year? I thought that advice from you was so insightful and so uh, practically helpful. Why do you think that that matters so much to make it rhythmic and to make it something that is not just these big extravagant moments like you'll have a conference, but something that's embedded in the everyday of an organization.
1: I would add to that, that consistency, right? So that that was the thing that was missing from what we had done previously is that core values would be introduced. We'd have a t-shirt, you know, everybody would get excited about it. And for like a month, we would talk about it and then it would die, right? And so it, I think in that example with with Rusty and I, Sharing some insight with Stephen was that um, I think he was talking about how it was introduced at a retreat or a meeting or something. And like, I'm done, check it off the list. Because I think oftentimes, as visionaries and high achievers, like, I'm on to the next thing, right? I'm done and I'm ready to, to move forward. And so I would say that has been the difference in, in why this is actually working is because. We are consistently bringing these up, right? And we are, we are telling our franchisees and also ourselves that, you know, this matters, that this is really the fabric of our company and that it's paying off because, as you say all the time, language creates culture. And so when I hear people saying we're better together or uh, we figure things out or, yeah, this is hard, but progress over perfection. You know, then I'm like, ah, oh, we're onto something here. And so that's only possible by just really just beating that drum over and over and over again, um, so that it doesn't. In the beginning, it's a little bit awkward because it's like, okay, I'm I'm just going to keep talking about this, and you know, hopefully at some point other people will start talking about it too. But I think if if you do have that desire to see change, it it does require consistent effort. I think that's true in every aspect of, of leadership, but particularly when it comes to core values.
0: This could be related to culture or it could be something more related to business holistically. I'd be really interested to know, is there a rhythm or structure that's in place in your business that you would say, man, this has created the greatest return for us. Like just the fact that we have a schedule for doing this on a specific basis has created the greatest return for our team and for JBF as an organization.
1: I think it's Tony Robbins who talks about the, you know, three things that can impact your business. There, there's teamwork, there's hard work, and then there's a framework And so I I think the framework is what has helped us the most. And I get frameworks from Path for Growth. We also run EOS. And so that's been helpful to have a framework, which shouldn't be surprising again, because we're a franchise model is that's what franchising is. It is a proven framework. And so we really lean into those frameworks where there is a consistent cadence of communication on a, a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis. And so that really is the playbook. You know, like we know what we're doing and consequently franchisees know what we're doing. So there there was a period of time within JBF where it was like, "What, what's going on at the corporate office? You know, what does everybody do all day? And so the more that we have strived to operate within the framework and then taking it one step further, making our work visible so that other people can see this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. And I've tried to bring that to life in different ways. We have, as we all know, people are overwhelmed and inundated with different communication. So we, we communicate with people in different ways. We have weekly written communication. I also do like a five-minute Friday where every Friday at two o'clock, I go on Facebook Live and say, hey, guys, you know, these are the highlights for the week. These are some things that you can look forward to next week. And so those types of really structured rhythms of communication have not only helped with the transition, but they also make people feel really good about their investment and about the future of the company when they know what's happening Where's Tracy? What is she doing? Not only just me, but but other members of our team. So I would say the, the more succinct answer to your question is having a framework has been helpful and then consistently executing on the framework because nobody likes to have a different framework every day or every week. It's like we, we have committed to the framework we've incorporated a lot of things in the path for growth model into our framework so success statements so we have success statements for roles meetings and projects and that started with me and then i was able to share that with other members of our team you've graciously educated members of our team on how to better utilize success statements and so now they're able to use that as a part of their framework and we've taught franchisees how to use success statements and so our goal is really to not only be doing it on a corporate level, but also to equip our franchisees with the tools so that they can do it on a local level.
0: Mm, I love that. That connects to something you said. I think it was in our workshop on Monday. We It was a workshop on impact-driven leadership. Like, what are the nuances? And I think the question we asked at the beginning was like what is the impact you're driven to make and i think the phrase that you used correct me if i'm wrong but it was something along the lines of influencing influencers mm-hmm. can you go into a little bit of like why that's something you're so passionate about and excited about in this season
1: yeah that's exactly what i said and that's really why i wanted to buy the company it was because i'd i'd had a lot of success in my own franchise business. And I think all entrepreneurs, you get to that point, you're like, all right, I climbed to the top of the mountain. Now what? You know, and, and sometimes I've heard the analogy, you look around and you're like, is, was it the right mountain? I, I definitely knew it was the right mountain. Like I was climbing the right mountain because I believe in the mission. I, I believe it's, it's really a privilege to help parents say yes. You know, the impact that we have on our local communities is really cool you know, not only on the pocketbook, but on their planet. And, you know, there's just so many feel good things about our business and, but it wasn't enough for me, you know, and because I like sports, I think, I don't know if it was coincidentally or just, again, just something that I needed to hear was that when you're, when the kid won the Heisman trophy, his dad said in coaching his son, it's like, when you go to the gym and you look around and and you're the strongest person in the gym, you need to find another gym. And so for a while I was like, Oh, I need to find another gym. And, and my husband and I were like, wait, I'm in the right gym. Maybe I just need a different piece of equipment or I need, you know, I need something to push me to that next level. And so I started to look at, you know, where could I add the most value? And it was in taking what I had learned because again, I think we have a really simple Model. We need people to buy our stuff. We need people to sell their stuff, and the bridge that brings them together is community. And so, how could I take those things that I knew to be true and scale them? And so, that was really kind of that that moment where I'm like, "This is this is what I feel convicted to do." And I was able to to pilot that with this small group of owners that I did consulting with for four years. And then it was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do this and, and we can make this bigger and better. And that's really what led to me making that phone call to you and to Shannon. And, and now here we are.
0: Man, two years later, and we're just getting started. I think I feel like that's high end. Every one of our coaching calls, I'm like, "Oh man, we are just getting started. This thing is just starting to crank." So, yeah, I'm I'm so grateful to you. I think you are someone that really stands out to me as not just a consumer in the Path for Growth community, but a contributor. Like it it is different because you're a part of it, and you are just an impact driven leader through and through. And then beyond that, I'm just so grateful for it and excited for the JBF team, it's an impact driven organization through and through. And so I would tell people if they want to go find out about JBF, I think the website is jbfsale.com. Is that right, Tracy?
1: Yes, jbfsale.com.
0: Yeah, it's on my list of things that I want to do. I want to go visit one of these events just to see, like, what's in the water here? Like, what's going on? Because this culture is alive and well. So it's on my list of things that I want to accomplish, and I would encourage others to do the same. Tracy, if they want to connect with you, I believe you're on LinkedIn. Is that correct? They can find you on LinkedIn?
1: I am. I'm a relative newbie on, on LinkedIn. When I, I took over this role in my, I call this my big girl job, I, I'm like, I need to up my game for LinkedIn. So yes, I am on LinkedIn.
0: Very good. And she's an active member of the Path for Growth community. She's part, uh, she's active on the membership chat within office hours, and she's one of the just many high caliber leaders that are part of that growing community right now. Tracy, so grateful for you, for your leadership, for your example, and for your time today. Thank you. Well, goodness, Uh, I hope that you have a whole list of takeaways from that conversation because there's so much in Tracy's story, but also her attitude and perspective that is applicable to every business, regardless of stage and industry. One of my takeaways that's really a principle, I think, that is magnified in franchising but can be applied everywhere is that simplicity scales. I think one of the things that Tracy and her team are doing a really exceptional job of right now is codifying what is the secret sauce that is making JBF so effective in this season and making sure they're communicating it in a way that's really simple and therefore transferable, reproducible, and scalable. I'm so grateful to Tracy and the entire JBF team for their example, for their leadership, and just for the work that they do to help families say yes. Hey, real quick, we talked a lot about the Path for Growth community in this episode. It's probably one of the more powerful things that we're able to provide as a company is a community of impact-driven leaders created and sustained by impact-driven leaders. And one of the things that's really cool is we're giving business owners the opportunity to experience that community for free right now through our free trial. It's a 14-day free trial of the Path for Growth membership. You're going to get access to all of the fundamentals lessons that is really our playbook and our process for growing your business while reducing your stress. And then you're also going to get the invites to our office hours conversations where impact driven leaders like Tracy connect together on Friday mornings to really dive into the challenges, the opportunities and the areas for growth that really challenge us all to learn from, grow from and improve. Those conversations are one of my favorite things we do as a company and we'd obviously love for you to check them out. So if you are a business owner or Someone that runs a business that is interested in the 14 day free trial, you can check that out at pathforgrowth.com or click the link that's in the show notes to fill out an application. I hope you all know this. We're rooting for you, we're praying for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me, your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's
1: go, let's go, let's go.